Success Insight shares the stories of the people with passion and drive who make things happen in the world. Here's your host, Howard Fox. Good morning, everybody. This is Howard Fox, and welcome back to another episode of the Success Insight podcast. Our guest today is Claire Stead. Claire is the owner and creator of Oliki. Oliki is an app for your smart device that is designed to help parents find the learning in everyday play to help their bump or baby reach their full potential. Claire is a teacher by training who then became an education researcher and has now turned her sights on e-learning, or I should say, has turned her sights on e-learning for the past 10 plus years. Claire has created an e-learning platform for primary age children around the world. She has built e-learning content for adults to help them learn new skills and is now creating e-learning content for parents to understand the learning and everyday play that their babies are getting. Claire, welcome to the Success Insight Podcast. Howard, thanks for having me. It's really lovely to be here. Fantastic. In the spirit of full disclosure to our listeners, I met Claire on a podcast site called Spot-A-Guest, and we'll provide a link back to that later. But Claire was asking lots of questions about becoming a guest on a podcast and perhaps even maybe someday having a podcast herself. And, you know, I just really was very curious about the work she was doing, especially with Aliki and these smart devices for children. So, Claire, it's just a great opportunity to talk about today what what is going on in the area of learning for children. And so tell us a little about yourself and what's Oliki. Okay, thanks ever so much. So yes, I'm a teacher, a primary school teacher by training, and I've worked as a teacher for 15 or so years working around the world. I've worked in three different continents in a number of different classrooms. And then the children that for me were most exciting were the children who had clearly got um, intelligence and were, were capable of learning really well, but just didn't have the skills to access that learning. And consistently, I kept finding them in classrooms. And for me, they were the interesting children. You've got the children who are going to learn anyway, who are hungry to learn, and they're really exciting. But the ones that I want to get to grips with were the ones who just weren't unpicking it for some reason. And then I fell into becoming an education researcher. And we again worked with the top 5% of schools in England and Wales looking for best practice and trying to roll that out across the country and make impact and change. But what we found was actually we were making most impact in the lower ability children. And that for me was quite fascinating. And and again, it started looking for my interest in those children who just weren't accessing the learning that the government said they should be able to do. And then, because I'm actually quite old, I started doing this thing that didn't even have a name then. <laughs> Making learning objects is what they were called. And even I didn't really know what they were. But it turns out that's called e-learning. And I was making it for a number of governments around the world. And so I would make the e-learning content that would be at the level that the government said the children should have. Some of the children still couldn't access that learning and it consistently you had this group of children that they weren't in the special needs group but they were not accessing the learning they didn't have the focus and the concentration and the hand the pencil grip control and that sort of thing and 
it got me thinking and I wondered what it, what was why and what was going on. Then I moved to Zambia and um, met a man on a plane, as you do. And of course. Of course. And he very kindly asked me to, he wanted to change the way education took place in Africa. And he asked me to come along and do it for him. Because um, that always is the way to have a job interview, isn't it? <laughs> of course. Now, just, so the, the, this was, a, I assume it was a long flight and you actually had an engaging conversation and the outcome was you got to come to Zambia and help change well, it. Well, that would be the American point of view, but we were British. So we sat next to each other for the eight hours in silence. And then on the last hour, <laughs> we finally spoke. And he, I'm showing how old I am because he had this thing and I was desperate to know what this thing was. So eventually I said to him, what is that? And he said, it's an e-reader, which is the name that um, a Kindle was in the very beginning. Right. And it's just come out of America and I'm so excited. And so I couldn't quite believe this thing. So we were investigating together and then we had this this conversation all about how we were going to change education in Africa and how we we're going to give kids the, the best opportunities they possibly could even if they were in the deepest darkest bits of Africa with no connectivity and how are we going to do it it was a really big challenge so he then by the end of the flight he asked me to come and help him and I spent the next 10 years building a product which is now out in the market and rolling across Africa called Mwabu and that is putting the whole of primary education on a tablet. Currently I think it's in nine languages voiced and translated for the children to be able to access the learning in their own language and it helps the teachers move from rote learning to inquiry-based active learning. How many languages are there in this device? At nine, currently. Nine languages. Mm-hmm. And so really the the device is, is, is language specific. So can you easily go from one to the other or? Yes. Yes. You swapped between the two. Okay. And, and while I was doing that, that's when I saw a graph that came out of Harvard by C.A. Nelson in 2000. And But I saw it quite a bit later. And it, this graph showed the learning that takes place in the brain development in the first thousand days of life. So that goes from conception to two. So there are a thousand days from the conception of your baby right the way through until they're two. And the brain development during that period of time is completely bonkers. Like the graph is this massive peak in the graph of learning. And for me, it was like switching on a light bulb. It was the most exciting thing to find because I suddenly realized that this was what was missing. We had all these children who weren't getting the stimulation that they needed in those early days for various reasons it might be that mum and dad just don't have any time or the kid I was in Africa so a lot of the children were on the back and people weren't necessarily talking to them in the same way or mum and dad are working or they just don't know how to do it so I have a question you had said during your research years that the ability for the kids especially the ones that were lowest ability were they tied to the same types of findings you're here, whether it was time, work? Is it just not having good conversations with the children? And it did it cut across all socioeconomic racial spectrums? 
It's a number of different things. It's 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 parents not knowing how to interact with children, parents not realising the importance of their interaction, not understanding the different kinds of questions you can ask a child, and that certain things need to be taught that you would think are implicit, that children just learn. But actually, we have to teach, and we have to... I'm not talking about teaching ABC. I'm talking teaching through play, through experience, through, through just giving a child the opportunities. Yes, it cuts across socioeconomic environments as well and and though people will often say that the most vulnerable children are the ones in obviously the most deprived environments actually i believe there is another another group that are at risk and that's the group of the parent who is the nice middle class parent there's two people working full time they're really busy then they may even have a nanny and the nanny and the child build an amazing relationship But do the parent and the child build an amazing relationship? And is it a relationship that will last them for a lifetime? And are we setting our children up as teenagers to fail because they haven't built the relationship at the outset that that sets the ground rules, that shows the child that when mum or dad says no, they actually just genuinely mean no? And, And have we given the child all those building blocks of learning that we need in place? Because learning is a bit like building a house. If you, if you put the building foundation in really strongly, then what you get is a nice strong building with a roof that fits and, and sits on the top of the house. If, if, it's, if it's not strong, there will be gaps. And then the, think about maths when you go into school and you do, sorry, math. <laughs> <laughs> um, when you think about that, you, if you have missed an understanding early on, like what's addition, what's it really mean, then the rest of your maths experience becomes extremely difficult because you can't build on those skill sets. And learning is like that. It's experiential learning. And, you know, we build from the bottom up and and skill builds on skill. And until we've got those skills in place, we can't expect our children to have a strong foundation. Sure. It sounds to me that there's the two opportunities that you are highlighting is that there's teaching the child, you know, from pre-birth, conception to two. And then there's also the learning for parents to teach them how to parent in relation to the talking, teaching, guiding, mentoring, teaching them how to have those kinds of conversations, as opposed to go play with your computer you're bothering me. You're absolutely right. Uh, there are there's both sides. And what we've done with the Aliki app is we've shown parents that a very simple activity like singing Three Blind Mice or going for a walk, how the child is gaining learning from that. As the parent understands the learning that the child's gaining from doing that, they feel successful as a parent. So if I, for example, if we talk about a baby holding a rattle, if the baby is holding the rattle and if you put the rattle in their thumb and first two fingers and they hold the rattle and they shake it, well, funnily enough, that's the same muscles that you're using to hold a pencil. If you now know that, aren't you more interested and engaged in helping your child to do it more often. I'm absolutely not talking about pushing school down to being bumps and babies. Absolutely. If anyone ever would think that, I'd be devastated. It's about play and it's about what can your child learn through play. So if you take a toddler for a walk and they're looking at a berry and they, they, you ask them to, take, to, to look at it and, and maybe you take their time, you go at their pace, and you take, which is much slower than the rest of us would expect it to be. But we take the time to allow them to explore the world for the very first time often. And they look at a berry and maybe this berry is a little 
of a red berry and they look and they see the shininess and they see one end's got the little tufty bits and one end's got a stalk and and they really look and you use language and you talk to your child about that when you realize that actually what you're giving that child is the focus and concentration that would allow them to differentiate between B and D when they get to school. It's interesting. You're, you've just described holding the berry. There's a mindfulness, all oh, for the sake of a better word, guru, John Kabat-Zinn. Yep. And I remember listening to one of his meditation tapes. I've never been a meditator. I probably should be a meditator. I think it, <laughs> there's a lot of evidence that says it does wonders for you. Mm-hmm. But I remember the this meditation, it all revolved around the grape. And what color was it? The texture was it? What did it smell like? What does the, you know, the roughness, the smoothness? And I could see then that that translating to what you've just described, mm-hmm. as you were walking down the street, either in the carriage, what do you call a carriage in the UK? Pram. Pram. <laughs> I was yes. going to say that. Uh, <laughs> hey, I just watched Mary Poppins again. Oh. <laughs> so no, it was, it was uh, saving Mr. Banks. So I, I decided to go back and, and watch Mary Poppins. If, and so Pram, I, I had that right, but I digress. This idea that you are in the moment as a parent, being there for your child, helping them experience what it is they're experiencing, it, it, it seems to be something that is overlooked and that needs to be addressed. That sounds like that has the possibility of happening with Oliki. Yes. So the idea of the app is is to build parental confidence. So you as a parent in understanding that the simple things that you may already be thinking of doing, like singing Twinkle Twinkle or going for a walk or playing in water with your baby, that is actually doing an amazing job for your baby's brain. You are building your baby's brain. You are a brain builder, which is a phenomenal thing to think. And Aliki just helps the parents understand, well, first of all, come up with a different idea every day for a thousand days of something to do that's age appropriate and developmentally appropriate for for their child. Uh, It's meant to be a kind of no stress app because the last thing any new parent needs is, oh, I haven't done my app, I haven't done this. But also there's no pressure and it needs to be, it just needs to be a friend rather than anything else. So it then shows you how to do it. So don't drown the baby because that's not great. Um, You know, put sun cream on before you take it outside, that sort of thing. The, The rest of it is about you as a parent and trying to help you understand that what can be quite a tricky period of time when you actually haven't got a clue what you're doing and this baby doesn't seem to be going away, it's your job. Um, and you come home from work maybe and you're really tired. I remember that was one of my challenging times, the, the sort of like the four o'clock to six o'clock time when my child minder had fed my baby and now what? I'm so tired, I just want to go to bed. And if somebody had told me what to do, I absolutely would have been most grateful. And to then have thought, well, wow, not only am I being told what to do, but I understand it and I understand the science behind it, then that would have been for me a, a fantastic help and and then that's basically what Aliki is doing and it's just trying one of the feedbacks the biggest feedback I've had from parents is that it, it's building their confidence and it makes them feel much more supported and much more like they're able to, to be successful and as a teacher we know that success breeds success and so what, those little wins are the ones that build the big wins and what we're doing in those early days even before the baby's born then what we're looking for is the successes that build the relationship between you and your partner. Well, what kind of child do we want? Do we want a child who's a questioning child? 
well, then maybe we need to accept that they're going to ask questions, in which case, are we ready for that? Or is that not really what we're set up for? Or are we wanting an independent learner, in which case we need to set the house up so they can be independent? Where does that play into child or infant development? And and the reason I'm asking this is from a personality, behavioral perspective, there's, there's the idea that perhaps we're hardwired. So we know we're introverted versus extroverted. Noises really kind of overwhelm us. We tend to cry because we're the sensory overload versus the little baby who's like, they're in the middle of the discussion. They're like happy being around people. They don't want to be alone. So I, I was just curious because you were starting to say, I thought I heard you say, what kind of baby do we want? What kind of child do we want? I do think an introverted child, for example, needs parents that are willing to help them explore their discomfort. Absolutely. So I'm just kind of curious if you can kind of clarify that just a little bit. Yeah, I'm not saying let's design a baby our baby. What I'm meaning more along the lines of is do we want, if we if we want a child who ultimately is going to be a child who's prepared to take risks, if we then say uh, on the slide, every time they go up the slide, is it a slide in America? The one that gives you... Yes, yes it is. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, if every time they go up the slide, say, oh, careful, it's still too high, careful. Are you allowing that child to discover their risks? Right. Or are you putting your risks on them? Right. Obviously, as a parent, it's our job to keep our babies safe. Right. But we need to, in, in other words, we need to look inside ourselves. And we need to think, are we being the parent that enables the child to be the child that we hope they can be? If we have an introverted child, we need to help support that child to grow and develop in their way. And it's not about, it's not about parenting. It's about who am I being as a parent to enable my child to be the child that I would like them to be. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. yeah. I'm curious too, it, it what your thoughts are. And I, I ask this because I think this app is just fascinating. This idea that the child is in their learning mode, they're exploring, they're starting to create the substance of who they're going to become. And the parents have this huge impact, whether they truly realize it or not. Is there an issue in the UK when the parents are walking the child in the pram down the street and they're clicking on their smartphone? not paying attention to the child. I see that all the time here in Chicago. I see you know, the dog owners, for that matter, they're, they're, they're on the cell phone while they're walking the dog. I know, and the amount of accidents and then accident emergency where people have walked into the lamppost or whatever. I've seen that. You know, I think the cell phone has a massive, massive impact on all of our lives. And I think there was a research paper out the other day that said that, that I, think, I can't even remember what the numbers were, but something like, one in four teenage child children, you know, secondary school children, has a smartphone and they spend more than half their time on the phone or something like that. It, honestly, the numbers were shocking. I, I, please don't quote me on them. I don't remember what they were. But 
So I do think the cell phone has a massive amount to answer for because I think that's part of the reason that we're not interacting in the same way. But I think it's more than that. I think it's the fact that we don't live in our extended communities anymore. We we live in our nuclear families. We have doors and we close them. Kids aren't out in the street. I mean, I was writing the other day on one of my blogs about when I had my eldest child, she was five days old. I'd come home from hospital after a tricky birth and had my C-section and it was time. In those days, you bathed your baby when you brought them home. So it was time to give her another the bath and my mother happened to be there and I had done the bath and by doing the bath I mean I picked this baby up dunked it in some water and sort of dunked it out again because it was all terrifying but now my mother was about to bath her and it was just an experience this baby went through it was just the most amazing thing to watch where she warmed the bathroom she ran the bath the baby was in the cot waiting you know perfectly happily playing fully clothed my mum got the towel organized she then brought the baby in and and wrapped her up made a cozy and chatted to her she tested the water and then she she dipped the baby in and they played this baby was five days old and then she rotated the baby this was the bit where our mind was blown where she rotated this baby and we saw her back and I was horrified absolutely horrified to discover that my baby wasn't perfect my baby had a strawberry nevus which is actually just a a raised set of blood cells on her back. But I didn't know. I was her mother and I didn't know that she had this thing on her back because I've never seen her back before because I wasn't brave enough to hold the baby the other way around. I didn't know how to do it. But by watching my mother, I learned the skills of how to do that. But we don't have that so much anymore. We might hire in some help. We might get a little bit of input from mum or dad or granny or an auntie who's down the road to help us. But that support isn't there anymore for the, for the, like we used to have when we grew up in communities. And therefore, that modelling isn't there. That was just easily done. And so we're having to learn it from scratch now. That's amazing. You briefly alluded to it uh, a few minutes ago, Claire, about the reactions from others about the app. I wonder if you could share a couple more stories of what you are hearing from the individuals, the the organizations, the schools, whoever is getting this app and, and using it for the parents and the child. What are you hearing? So health visitors are really interested in using the app with their families to support their work. So what they're wanting to do is use the app almost as a, a conversation piece. So they're in, in their weekly meeting, they'll have a conversation, they'll talk about, oh, look, what's coming on the app next week for you? What do you feel about doing those? How do you think you'll get on with it? And then the parent goes away confidently to give some of those activities a go and then comes back next week and discusses it, which means that the parent has had those little wins. They feel much more successful. And these are families who are the at-risk families, the ones who need the more, need support. And for them, a, a little win is actually a massive win. So those the, that's the health visitors. Um, the parents who are buying it themselves are giving feedback that it's giving them lots of different ideas of what to do, that they actually now feel they're doing the right thing and they don't have to worry about it anymore. A load of them have said, I've stopped Googling because I'm sick of the contradiction. And, and that for me is quite big. And I had one woman say to me the other day, I didn't think I could have a baby, but what I'm seeing in your posts makes me think that I can. I mean, that's really exciting. Wow, that's that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Where do you see this app going in the next, let's just say, three to five years? Where would you like to see this app going? Okay, my dream, Your dream would be that every parent, and I mean men and women, was given it at check-in with the midwife. 
So it becomes part of the conversation that you have with any professional so that it has its status. In other words, play is put at the centre of parenting. We're putting learning at the centre of parenting through play. That means our children are arriving at school ready to learn because when education works, it is wonderful. When it doesn't, it's a daily reinforcement of failure. And why would we want to put our children through that? Very good. Thank you for that. And I would be remiss if I didn't ask you, knowing that you are in the UK, two times in uh, events that I have attended, I had the pleasure of hearing a keynote from Sir Ken Robinson. And his work just totally blew me away. And uh, I'm wondering... This app, I mean, he, I would imagine he loves this app. He's got, to, he's got to love this app. I would love Ken Robinson. I mean, the God Ken Robinson, he is my hero. He's absolutely what Ken Robinson is talking about. It's about putting creativity at the centre and the heart of everything that we do in the home. And I'm talking about starting before school. I'm talking about giving our kids play status and if you ask me whether or not that stops at two in my world no it goes right the way through and it should be the center of all education all the way up i went to a conference really really recently that had a the lego foundation in uh, were running part of it and they came and they did a session and they gave us six bricks and we had to make a duck <laughs> and it was at Cambridge University and the room exploded with, with cacophony of noise. People were talking, they were interacting, they were communicating. And then the next follow-on activity was to work with your partner and join your two ducks together to make one bigger duck. And the learning that was taking place was phenomenal. And if that's a group of ad- academic adults in Cambridge University that are getting pleasure and interaction and learning from play, why is it not the center of all of our education? Very much, very much so. Who are the other thought leaders in this area of work? I hate, I wanted to say niche, but it's not a niche. I mean, it, this is definitely a mindset. And, and it's also a, you know, I've got a changing the paradigm of what is education, whether it's in the UK, here in the US. You've you've got the Centre on the Developing Child in Harvard who did the original work. And when I saw their work, it was absolutely, it blew me away. It was like a light bulb moment. And basically what they've taken is the mega clever neuroscience and made it human. What I've done is taken that human stuff and make it parent-friendly and child-friendly. And then you've got people like the Saving Brains community in Canada, who, again, fantastic stuff. And then in the UK, you've got the Pedal Institute at Cambridge, who are, the, as I understand it, the first people who are doing research into play, which is phenomenal. And then the, the critical first thousand, thousand and one days organisation in the UK, who are... Again, they're making the case for babies and talking about it. There are others, or you know, why relationships matters and parent foundations and that sort of thing. There's a lot out there, but but it's a small group of fairly vocal people. And then the newest kid on the block, which is not really new, but um, the loudest voice at the moment is the Duchess of Cambridge, who's talking about it and how important. And she's just launched, actually, her Royal Foundation has just launched something called The Five Big Questions, and it's a survey where she wants to find out what people are thinking is the most important thing about the first thousand days. Wow. And I have to tell you, maybe the Duchess of Cambridge should uh, 
get a copy of your app. And I would, well, <laughs> I, I, you know, go right to the top there. Uh, I, I would like to, if we can, you know, in our show notes, include as many of these links as possible. Cause I think our, our listeners would love to learn more about it. I mean, we have done, I think we're going on close to a dozen children's book authors on the success inside podcast. And, and I, I find it interesting now that I have been chatting with you as many of those books start at age two, age two to five, age six to 10, 12 and above. I don't recall ever seeing a book that started, you know, pre-zero or let's start at zero, zero to two. Well, why don't we start at pre-zero? Because in the Aliki app, that's one of our jobs is to build a book. Yeah. And it's it's that first book, the black and white books. And it's one of the activities for, for mum or dad to do in the in the wait for the baby to come is to build a book. And it, they don't have to be an artist. It's just about getting a black felt tip and, and doing some shapes and patterns and putting it together and sharing it with their baby and talking it through. And, and, and in fact, it's the second activity in a leaky that you do once your baby's born. The first activity is to, to spend time and talk to them. Day two is read them a book because it's so vital that we start reading with these babies as early as possible. Fantastic. Claire, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you on the Success Insight podcast and really to be introduced to the to work you're doing and really some of the, the the insights and the light bulbs are going off in my head and 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 of course, you know, mentioning Dr. Ken Robinson, because I always think about his keynotes. I mean, the, the man is just amazing and the TED Talks, and it's like I, I would love to go listen to him again. So if he doesn't have this app, he needs to have the app. <laughs> I, I tell you, if I could have dinner with Ken Robinson, that'd be amazing. In fact, can I put some people on the table? I, I'd put him, I'd put um, Professor Jack Shenkoff, I'd put Paul Ramdanchani from the Pedal Institute. Um, there's a load of people that I'd put on there, maybe the Dutch to Cambridge. We could all have to talk about play, we could talk about kids, we could talk about learning. I'd be blown away. That's my dinner party sorted out. I think that's it's all sorted <laughs> out. Let's do this. And Thank you very much. <laughs> I, we will do our part in our show notes to have the backlink to Sir Ken Robinson, the websites to the foundations, etc. So we're going to do. Thank you. We're going to do what we have to do to, to support this. Claire, if I you know, go ahead. It'd be just amazing to make the impact that we can make on babies' lives and the next generation and the next generation after that. So that's what I'm looking to do: make that impact and make change. Fantastic, Claire. If our listeners would like to learn more about you and your work, and especially about Oliki, where are the best places for them to go? So our website is aliki.com. And then, of course, there's Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, and the good old Instagram. Good old Instagram. (laughs) You know, it's interesting. Uh, I would probably uh, suggest you go on Pinterest because many children's book authors are on Pinterest. And yeah, I made a I made a, um, a uh, an account. Okay, but I don't think I did much more than that. But yes, I probably ought to. <laughs> I, I, I actually had an account until I had actually a children's book author, Lisa Rose, and oh, we're on Pinterest, and it's, so I went to look on Pinterest, and it's like, oh wow! So your podcast, because we are talking about children, we're going to put that on Pinterest as well. In, in any case, the fact that you are active on so, the social sites and the website. It is perfect, and we will provide the backlinks to those sites on the show notes, as well as we'll work with you to get the these other organizations Thanks. and 
Yeah. Thank you. And if anyone's interested in the app, it's it's available in the in the app. Well, we'll actually provide the links to it as well. I am excited. I just think this is fantastic, and you know, even with adults. In our learning and development, career development, professional development, the use of apps doesn't have to be earth-shattering. It just needs to be baby steps, just a little bit at a time. Yeah. Baby steps. There's little successes because you know what? I was thinking about it the other day, and, and those little successes just make you feel good. And if you feel good, you are good. It's 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 not rocket science, but it is really nice when when we feel proud of ourselves. Fantastic. Claire, thank you again for being on the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. All right, folks, we have just been chatting with Claire Stett. Claire is the owner and creator of Oliki. This is an app for your smart device, and it's designed to help parents find the learning in everyday play and then to help them through the bump and onto the baby to help them reach their full potential. Do check out Claire's website. It's oleaky.com and we'll provide a link to that as well as to her sites on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And we're also going to provide a whole bunch of other links to some of the organizations and thought leaders such as Ken Robinson, Sir Ken Robinson, that we had uh, discussed during today's podcast. Totally fascinating episode. And this is really, again, why I love this podcast, because, you know, we could be talking about everything is about leadership, entrepreneurship, conflict management. But what I love about the podcast is the range of guests that we get to have on and really learning about Claire and her her passion for this work and this app that she's created and the potential and the uses for it are boundless. So uh, I'm really excited to be able to share this episode with you. So again, I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, Please let us know what you thought of the episode on our website, successinsightpodcast.com. If you found us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, no, we're really not that much on Instagram, Pinterest, YouTube, do let us know what you thought of the podcast, follow our pages, and there's going to be more great episodes coming up on the Success Insight podcast. So wherever you are, whatever you're doing, go out there, have a phenomenal day, and we'll see you again soon. Take care now. Success Insight is a production of Fox Coaching and First Story Strategies. Find us online, successinsightpodcast.com.